Okay. So my name is Ailey um, and today the date is the 30th of July um, and this interview is taking place via a phone call. Um, so to get us started, I'd like to know a little bit about you and your background. Um, could you please tell me your name and the year you were born? My name is Fiona Sinclair and I was born in 1961. Um, where did you grow up? I grew up in Fife, born in Dunfermline and grew up in a small mining community called Kelty. Um, and tell me a bit about your professional or work background. My work background is pretty varied. Um, I studied at the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama, doing a speech and drama qualification and from there moved into theatre management and press and media within the arts. Then I took a sharp turn and volunteered to go to Bangladesh with VSO. When I came back from there, what that had done for me is made me realise what I didn't know. So I decided to go back to university. So I went back, did another qualification and a master's. And then from there, decided to draw together the arts and communication skills and the other additional agricultural skills and spent another good few years overseas working in community development in South America. Came back from there, continued in community development, always dipping back to the skills that I'd learned at drama school and over the course of time um, and the things that life generally throws at us as we become older. I've found myself since 2013 working in the NHS in the voluntary services manager role with the main responsibility for curating and overseeing the Art in the Gart programme, which I created with Samantha Flower, one of the lead occupational therapists. What was your first role within mental health and the arts? First role would have been, I guess, when I worked with Barhead Women's Centre. When I came back from, from overseas, I was in there as an employment development worker. And I used the arts and creativity to work with vulnerable women who'd been experiencing domestic abuse and who were interested in adapting and changing their lives and finding employment. So the way I did that was I used drama and role play, music, poetry, to try and work with people so they could identify the particular path they wanted to follow. So that would have been the first time, and that would have been hmm, the late 90s, I reckon. And then from there, um, I found myself working as the project manager in Commonweal, a mental health support charity who's been present on the Gart Naval site for many, many years. And what they do is, or what they did when I when I was brought in as project manager, was they offered live music sessions, both from a performance, a one-to-one, -one, and a community music sharing perspective. They, they offered that, actually, on the wards, on the psychiatric wards here at Gart Naval Royal Hospital, very much through um, the, the inspiration of a consultant psychiatrist since retired, Dr. Alistair Wilson, and another musician, Julie Desimone, who, with Alistair, helped set Commonweal up and helped bring music into Gart Royal. So 
I was there for three years or so and then came into the actual NHS itself to take up this role. And I've been here since um, 2013. And those first kind of two projects that you mentioned, what were they trying to achieve? They were trying to work with people who ordinarily didn't have a voice, who we would generally classify as excluded, vulnerable, um, whose self-confidence and belief in themselves was at a real low and who felt they didn't have the skills to change their life. And so these organisations were very much about using the arts, using creativity to enable people to take the veil from their own eyes, if you like, and see that, in fact, they did very often have sufficient skills and resources within themselves to make the changes, the positive changes that they wanted to make in their lives. And using the arts to do that, whatever form of art, using art in its widest sense to enable people to reconnect with themselves, reconnect outwards, and, and have the confidence to make decisions for themselves was, was very much at the core of what both of those organisations were trying to do. And what sort of impact did um, doing that sort of work have on your own mental health? Um, I think that personally, I can only speak personally, but what, what I'm aware of is, I guess, the, the resources which I do have and the resources which I don't have. So in terms of my personal insight, and I would say that a lot of this comes from having gone to the Royal Scottish Academy, um, my, my initial formation was very much about connecting with what was going on within me in order that I could express myself in the most appropriate way for a given situation. So I think that those skills have stayed with me. So if, if, if the work becomes overwhelming or that sense of relentlessness that can sometimes descend, which, which I think is perhaps being felt by many people at the moment, given what everyone's going through, I've got the, the strategies and the techniques in place because I can recognise that in me. So there are certain signals that I'll note in myself. And when I, when I, when I make contact with those signals, then I'll do what I need to do to take the pressure off a little bit, remove myself from the situation or distract myself from, from what's causing the, the stress until I feel more settled within myself that I can go back and pick it up again. This role that I'm currently in is my first role in an acute psychiatric hospital. I'm not a clinician. Mm. Um, so there are, every day is a learning day for me and what's possible and what's not, pos not possible has had to shift and change in terms of trying to curate a person-centred activity programme which is focused on the arts. Um, so so I've, I've realised that it can be very easy to act as a sponge and to take on board the conversations that you maybe have with pe having with people who are in a very difficult point in their life. But what, what I do with that is I can now convert that into an activity which is of use for that person, an arts activity which is of use for that person. And that in turn helps alleviate any stress or anything I may be holding on to with regards to my own mental health. So the work itself and the, the techniques and the methodologies that I've learned over the years and I've observed other people use 
and I've been able to use and adapt myself are very much what I fall on or fall back on when I feel my own mental health being chipped away at or compromised in any way. And why do you think it's important then that, that patients who suffer from severe and enduring mental health problems or indeed any mental health problems have access to art and, and use art therapeutically? Well, here, when, when the Art in the Gart programme, which, which is the, the creative volunteer programme in effect, um, because my role is, 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 two, is two jobs. There's the voluntary services manager and there's the lead for the Art in the Gart programme. So the only way to do both of those full-time jobs was for one to be subsumed by the other. So the Art, the art in the Gart programme became the Art in the Gart creative volunteer programme. So all of the volunteers who are involved with us and the artists fall within that remit. What we're trying to do with that programme is we, we understand art in the absolute widest sense. So when we're bringing together a programme, it's a programme which is developed from the interests of a patient or a patient's family who may come and tell me something about that individual or a member of staff who may come and tell me something about that individual. And because we are using activity and developing activity which has some meaning for that individual beyond their diagnosis, it offers them the opportunity to look beyond where they are at the moment within these walls. Mm -hmm. So being able to access any form of activity which enables someone who has struggles to make eye contact or struggles to have a conversation or is in a deep a deep despair as a result of their illness or is psychotic if we can use creativity and artistic communication to enable them to see what they're thinking and communicate how the world looks for them that has been shown to be a really positive thing here because staff feedback has told us that the person who's been involved in that activity, whatever it may have been, will then go back, will be calmer, will be more communicative, won't be pacing as much, will be able to engage better with patients and staff. So it's a win-win it's a generally for people who come into contact with, with what the programme's offering. And like I said, what's at the core of it is we, we talk about art with a small a. So we're we're talking about anything which enables someone to lift their head and look forward. And that can range from opera through to gardening, through to painting or drawing, to animation. It can be whatever that individual wants. And the, the magic, I guess, of the process really is that in having that conversation with someone, they, they then gift to me and to the programme and to all subsequent people who take part in the activity a very special part of them that may be hidden or which they may lose touch with when they're unwell. So they may be the most superb guitarist, but when they're ill, they, they disconnect from that part of them. So what we do here is try very hard to reconnect them at their pace with that part of themselves. What comes out of that is they not only then will pick up the guitar in the course of time and play it on the ward for themselves, for patients. They may then go on to be part of a wider guitar group within the hospital. They may come back as a music volunteer. But when they go, that activity, which has started as a result of 
what they like to do remains part of the programme. So they almost gift a part of their own creativity to us when they leave hospital. And it stays here as a reminder of that person and what that person brought and remains available to anyone else who wants to get involved in, in the guitar. So the, the, the person leaves hospital, hopefully, with the knowledge and the understanding which we make very clear to them that the gift that they've left with us will continue and how important that at one of the most vulnerable points in their life, when perhaps they couldn't see beyond the ward, they had actually had the capacity to give us something of themselves and that it was remaining here for other patients then to benefit from. So the impacts ripple far, far beyond what we may actually see here on the ward. Yeah, that's a, a beautiful way of, of, I like that art with a small A. Um, and is that, I guess that kind of epitomises it being about accessibility and about being inclusive and... Yes, yes. Um, I, somebody said to me that I'm like a curator. Um, the, the ideas for the Art in the Gart programme, the Creative Volunteer programme, don't come from me. That's not to say I don't have ideas, but, but I, I keep my ideas very much in the background because what's at the core of this is that it should be a space where the voice of the most vulnerable and often the most excluded and stigmatised of individuals can find a space and can be treated beyond whatever the medical diagnosis may be. So it's very much about reminding people they have a right to access any of the range of activities and more, regardless of who they are. And what we try and do is, by, by helping them to believe that, by involving them in that, by having a collaborative approach with a wide, wide range of independent artists, creative volunteers, third sector organisations, private organisations, statutory organisations. We will work with whoever we need to work with in order that that person, when they're in hospital, can reconnect with something that's a fundamental part of them. So enabling that access hopefully then means that not only have they connected with an organisation out with the hospital, but when they leave, they can go back to that organisation. So say it's, it's animation with project ability. If they've taken part in an animation project with a project ability member of staff, what will happen is they will be given the contacts of the organisation and when they leave hospital, if they want to retake up, if they, if they want to take that, that connection up again, the door is open to them. It's there. They've, they've made that first step because they already realise and understand that they are very able and very capable of relating to a highly skilled artist on an animation project because they themselves have the skills and they have the right to participate. So the idea of, of equity and inclusion and participation in its true sense and self-expression are absolutely at the core. The ethos is very much about the people who are in hospital with whom we are working, the people who are travelling alongside, finding a way to to say what they need to say, however however they may want to do that. So. So yes, those those things are very much very much at the ethos of what we're trying to do here, and and this is nothing new, you know. If if you go back to when the 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 hospital was first built, it was a working farm, 
there was everything going on here from gardening to making your own clothes to sewing to playing bowls to going down to Bingham's Pond to sail to walking, outdoor therapy, being outdoors and being involved in something of meaning was at the core of when this hospital was first built. So over the years, as you know, this has waxed and waned as different things have gone in and out of fashion, but it feels to me now, and it has felt like that since I took up this job, that we've come full circle. People are finally beginning to take seriously the, 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 the impacts, the long-term, far-reaching impacts of what are known as the, the softer interventions, if you like, are fundamentally important in the recovery process and that coming into hospital, receiving or not receiving a diagnosis, finding the medication that suits is only a tiny little part of managing your illness and that it's what you do beyond that that's important and what informs that I think, based on the history of this site and what's begun before, what we're trying to do now um, is very much connected to activity and the, the, the softer skills that you can recreate and redevelop when, when you happen to be in hospital. It's interesting what you're saying about it coming full circle. Um, mm -hmm. Why do you think it is that um, mental health services veered away from that more traditional holistic approach and treatment of being out in nature and, and doing all those things? Oh, that's a big question. Um, I, I can only answer personally. Um, I'm not speaking from any, any NHS position here, if you like. I'll put in, I'll put in that disclaimer now. <laughs> personally, I feel that mental illness is so complex. As we, as we know, individuals, each of us, is so complex. You and I will respond completely different to some form of stimulation. We'll have different tastes, we'll see things differently, we'll think differently, we'll dress differently. How can you legislate or how can you standardise medication or medical practice when it's so complex? Which one model is going to fit everybody. Personally, I, I just don't think it's possible. I don't think we're that good, we're that intelligent, we're that advanced as human beings. I think that mental illness is still a mystery. The individual, each of us, we are each of us still a mystery. And to try and contain that and box it under a diagnosis or a name I think is really, really difficult. Difficult for the people who believe it's possible and try very hard to do it. Difficult for the patients. I completely appreciate the argument that there are those of us for whom a diagnosis is really helpful. I, I get that argument. I really do. It can be helpful when something is named and you can put it there and look at it and think, okay, that's what that is. Now what do I do with that? But I think that only works for some people. And I think that we, we have become so scientific. We love our science. And I think science is important and has its place and informs so much. But there's more. There's more to us than the scientific. There's more to us than the medicalization, than the diagnosis. And I think that that trend became very much, had very much more 
power and was was taken more seriously um, was had a louder voice running alongside economics open markets pharmaceutical companies the stock market all of those complexities which bring their pressures to bear on other sectors of society I think has all gone together to create a package which isn't as holistic as it could have been and that we're now realising how complex we are, I hope. We're now realising when we look at the statistics that a lot of what we're doing isn't working and we're now realising that someone's sometimes just sitting down and having a conversation and being heard rather than being a statistic or a diagnosis or a postcode but being heard for who they are, that moment in time when their voice is listened to and they can see that the other person in the room with them or the group in the room with them is present with them at that time. I think we're moving back to that because, A, we have no choice because what we're doing doesn't always seem to work, which is terribly sad because we want we want to help everyone in mental health wants to help. We all want to try and make things better when people are in such acute pain. And again, don't get me wrong, there is a place for, for medicine, there's a place for antidepressants and a place for all the different formalised therapies. But we, we're more than that. And so I think to enable people to access that larger part of themselves and all that that may encompass, um, across the wide remit of what the arts can offer can only be a good thing and can support what we're trying to do from a medical or a pharmacological perspective. And and how have you noticed, um, I guess we can do this in two kind of sections, um, first of all in a hospital setting, have, how have you noticed um, clinicians and um primary care providers um, shift in, in regards to like accepting art as a, as a treatment or more holistic mm. therapies as a treatment? Yeah, I, I, I would say, again, I've, I've only been here eight years and in, in, in NHS terms, I guess, and in psychological therapies and improvements in mental health, that's a really short period of time. But what, what I've observed in my time here is a very real commitment from all areas within the hospital to, to bringing back and reconnecting with what they used to do 20 or 30 years ago on this site. I think that what has been said to me, and it's been said openly in an Art McGart document which was pulled together, um, is, is that the, the, at the foundation of what everyone is trying to do is is a humane intent, of course it is, mm. and there's nothing more frustrating than putting your life and soul into trying to help make someone's life a bit better and it not working. And I think that what I've observed is a generosity of spirit in people being able to accept that one size doesn't fit all. And that's evident to me because in my role, people, I feel I have the trust from 
everyone in the hospital at all sorts of across the different disciplines i think that i'm trusted that what i can bring in by enabling access to what a patient is interested in is going to be a positive thing because of the the feedback we get from the wards about the positive shifts in people's behavior and so people are not going to deny that if you're trying to help somebody then you're 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 going to have that generosity of spirit to say i'm doing my bit now it's over to solar bear therapeutic theater or the royal conservatoire or the high school of glasgow or nevis ensemble or one of our many partners it's down to them coming in to connect with patients to then do their bit so i think what i've seen shift is a real a, a, a genuine a genuine acceptance and belief in the importance of collaboration and collaborative working mm-hmm. so that individuals can access the range of different services they need while they are in hospital and being cared for by us. Just because they're in hospital, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't still be able to access what they would ordinarily access mm-hmm. when they're not in hospital. And so what the Art in the Gart programme does is just that. And, uh, and much of the information I get about what someone is interested in will come from clinicians themselves. And that communication says to me that people understand how important it is. Why that shifted, again, huge, hugely complex. I, I just fall back on thinking that people just want to do the best by other people and can see if it's not working and are generous enough of spirit to try other things. And like I said before, Ailey, none of this is new. You know, this has been going on for centuries, right back to the Greeks. None of this is new. It falls out of favour in accordance with some of the things I hinted at earlier. But we do, as a species, I think we are inclined to go round in circles a little bit and always come back and... I think that where we are at the moment, from my, from what I've observed and my experience, um, I don't know if you can hear the singing in the background. There are some patients out in the garden singing in the rain at the moment, <laughs> which is lovely. <laughs> um, but that itself speaks volumes to how, in the clinical setting, people are very much more comfortable with the holistic approach. I think what runs alongside that too, and this is what I've learned now that I'm part of the NHS, is there is and there has to be an extremely high level of scrutiny. And I think that's correct. Running alongside that is a need for health and safety for risk assessments. And I think now that I understand that and I've been skilled in how to do that, that means that the clinicians know that no activity will be brought into the hospital without mm-hmm. a proper risk assessment having been done mm-hmm. and without a long conversation having happened with the clinicians on mm-hmm. the ward. And once all of that is in place, people are comfortable that the situation is safe for the people for whom they're caring, and then activity can happen. And I won't deny it. Initially, that was a very steep learning curve for me, and it did feel like it restricted some of the things that we should be doing from the way I was viewing things. I've now learned why things are the way they are. And I I didn't understand that before I came into this setting. 
And so I've learned that the way I can make things happen is to ensure that I have the trust of the clinicians. And that means that I need to have in place all of the paperwork and the things that will keep people safe. So it's accountability really, isn't it? And that then enables you to do work that will benefit people and that is safe and that your colleagues can put faith in what you're doing is really obviously for the best and and to help people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that that mutual trust as well. Mutual trust and mutual solidarity, I guess. Mm. You know, um there's 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 not much some, some, when you're not when you're not a clinician, this is a very personal appreciation, I guess. But when when you're not a clinician and you're in a clinical environment, it can be very it can be too easy to be aware of what you maybe perceive as your own shortcomings because you're not a clinician and you don't have the clinical language. Um, you're not a doctor. You're not wearing a uniform, and it can be. It can be isolating and it can challenge your own self-confidence and your your own trust in what you bring and why you were recruited in the first place. Mm-hmm. And you, I guess going back to what you were saying about how does work like this in this setting impact on my mental health, that's something that I had to do a lot of work on, which was really interesting because... As in other jobs I've done in the past, because I was in a situation myself of feeling like I didn't have a voice, feeling like I I didn't have the confidence and what right did I have to be in the NHS trying to do this when all I had was a drama degree and I'm not a clinician and I don't wear a uniform. Those thoughts, we all have them at different times and they can chip away. And so the fact that I've gone through that process here, when I sit down and chat with patients about what their interests may be or what they'd like to see happen or if there's anything I can do, I can empathise so much more with when they talk about how they feel that no one's listening to them and they don't have a voice and they'd have nothing to contribute because it took me a good few years to get over that in this role. And I guess what helped me get over it was the absolute passion that I have and the absolute belief I have in the role of the arts in its widest sense and the role of, the role of creativity in enabling people to find themselves again and find their voice. And you mentioned earlier about um, collaborative working. And mm. that obviously seems like something that you do a lot of within these um, mm. this kind of work, obviously. Mm. Um I'd like to know like who some what who some of your like favourite people are to work with, um, or what kind of flavour of art they are. Um oh, what have been geez, some of like loads your, of them. <laughs> what are some of your like ones that you look forward to the most or historically have enjoyed the most? I think um oh heavens, that's that's a really difficult one because each I do have my favourites and I will give you some personal favourites, but I think what 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 emerges from each different form of creativity or art or or interaction is is different. It's unique. It's special in its own way, and it will it will open your eyes to things that you maybe hadn't seen the previous week, or you maybe don't see in a different art form. So so they they all every time open a new door. 
one of the one of the most powerful ones is the presence of projectability in our intensive psychiatric care unit. And that's been going on. Projectability has been involved with Gart Naval Royal long before I was here. And um, they're a core part programme. And one of their workers, one of their artists, comes in or, or ordinarily, not at the moment, sadly, but ordinarily, comes in every Tuesday evening with one of the creative volunteers to go into the intensive psychiatric care unit and offer an art workshop. And that is very much art in the sense of drawing, painting, watercolours, oil, collage. And she arrives and they go on to the ward. The ward staff will bring patients who are interested in to be with them, to take part in the activity where the artist Tracy and, and one of the, the volunteers will support and steer whatever the, the, the person or the people who are taking part in the group will want to do. And the, the, the authenticity, I think, is the word I'm looking for, the authenticity of the work and the creativity that comes out of those sessions is, is something to behold, to be quite honest, because you're, this is a group of people who are, who are very, very unwell, desperately unwell, um, and yet who find an hour of solace and creativity and find the resources within themselves to, to work with Tracy on the art that, that, that they're developing together and converse about it and take part in it as an equal. And yet they're at their most vulnerable. And you, you might think, how, how is that possible? How can the human being have the capacity to be so unwell and yet at the same time be able to tap into the, that deep creativity. So that, for me, that I find that really, truly inspirational. And of course, the, the, the hospital is usually filled with music. Music's a huge part of what we do here. And we've been really, really lucky to have a, one of the our regular musicians be able to come into the garden spaces of some of our wards and offer impromptu garden ser serenades to try and keep live music because music is so important as we know mm -hmm. and for it not to be around live at the moment when it ordinarily would be you, you can feel the gap you can mm -hmm. feel the space and radios and cds are fabulous things but they they don't they can't take the place ever of a musician standing there responding to comments from, from the audience, responding to requests from the audience, tenderly interacting with a, a patient who's in tears, hearing their favourite song. Those, those moments of human connection that the arts can enable are irreplaceable, and, and they're many-fold across the hospital. But those are those are two of my favourites. I don't want to. I, don't, I hope I don't offend offend any of my other partners because I haven't mentioned that. <laughs> um, but those are two things that always stand out for me in such difficult environments that the light is still there and the joy is still there and creativity is still there. And that's probably another reason when that's witnessed by clinicians. How can they say no to to agreeing that it should happen? because we all benefit from it. Patients have an opportunity to interact with staff in a different way when there's 
an arts activity going on, the staff will observe patients interacting with the artist in a different way. And these are all positive things in terms of the recovery journey. And they're all things that add to the, the, the care plans and the assessments. So the, the, they are manifold, the things that, that go on here. I don't know if you want me to tell you more. I could tell you more, but I'm just aware that I'm aware of time. I'm not sure if this can go on and on and on. It can go on and on and on for as long as you would like to speak. So we can, um, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I'm happy just to let you um, talk. I would, I, would, you... I would like to know what happens to patients' artwork. Mm. Good point. What happens to any anything that's created, whether it's a musical composition or a, a, a physical piece of art or pottery or whatever, is that, first of all, um, patients are asked if, if they would like to, to keep it. And if people want to keep it, then they can keep it and it, it goes home with them. If they don't have an opinion one way or the other, we will ask if they would be comfortable with it being exhibited in our gallery space or if they would happy with it if they would be happy with it if it's an artwork being framed up and put on a wall in a ward or if I can keep it and have it presented in public spaces at different times, either in our public spaces in the hospital or if we're doing any events during SMAF or Mental Health Awareness Week in local libraries or schools or community groups or community councils where I might go to talk about the project to tell people what's going on at a wider community level. So the, 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 it depends really on the person who has created it. it. They own it and it depends what they would like to see happen with it. And the art that you display around the hospital, um, when did you start using patients' art in that way? When was it start put up for other people to look at and, and enjoy? Well, before I came into this job, I know that um, Samantha Flower, whom I know you know, had been involved in the original design of this hospital and part of her role with the operations coordinator and a wide range of other people was to consider the design aspects of the building and where people would be sitting and so where people might be pausing to look at things. So when the hospital opened, although the walls were all white at that stage, it already had some significantly large pieces of artwork done by known artists framed and on the walls there are three pieces large large pieces of art when you first come into the hospital at the reception desk which were done in a collaboration I believe with Glasgow School of Art and patients and there are also a number of silk screen prints which were done as a result of found art in effect so patients mm -hmm. taking photographs of things that they saw around the grounds, working with occupational therapy, and it then being sent off to be printed up onto almost like velvet silk. So so there has been art, patient art, and non-patient art displayed in Gartnaval Royal Hospital in this new part of the building since it was opened way back in 2007. Prior to that, in the old original hospital 
where the the village centre was, where there were the, the OT did a lot of their work. There was woodworking, there was a cafe, they would have tea dances, there was a second-hand clothes shop, and also things which people had um, made would be put for sale to raise funds for other activities within the mm. hospital or put up on display so that people could see the work that was going on. So, so the hospital has a long history of displaying patient art. When Art in the Gart came into being, if you like, we then identified the, the actual Art in the Gart gallery space, which is the long corridor round from reception on the ground floor. And I curate that with projectability and we have quarterly exhibitions of framed work, of work which has been done by artists here in Gart Naval Royal Wards with artists, artist patients, I mean, working alongside um, artists from Project Ability. And we also use the space to exhibit work from other groups in the community that Project Ability may have done. So. Project Ability Inspire program, the work that they do with learning disabilities and also the work that they've done with some of the community mental health teams. We will display that work as part of our running program as well. Um, what do you think about the term um, outsider art or art extraordinary? Um, I, I, there are so many terms, you know, I guess. I guess maybe just maybe just it's just where I am in my life, but the the, the names of things may change, mm -hmm. but the intrinsic value and ethos of the work, I don't think has changed. Mm -hmm. So I can be personally a little bit cynical about new terms as they evolve. Mm -hmm. A because a lot of them have been around before or have mm -hmm. been picked up by other different other societies in other countries and less developed economies for instance and then we adopt it later on down the road as our own and the flags go out so I'm a bit I admit personally to being a little bit cynical about how we identify what things should be called mm -hmm. I'm not saying that naming things properly isn't important of course it's important mm -hmm. but it personally I think the, the, the proof is kind of in the pudding and what's really important for me is that it's visible and it's there and it's in the public space regardless of who has created it mm -hmm. and regardless of what it's called. Mm -hmm. It can be easy, I know m myself, to get caught up in what something is called and lose sight of actually what it's at, what's at its core and you risk form over substance, I guess. I, I, so show me, show me that it's there, have it there in a space where everyone can see it and where, where each of us has the, the right and the opportunity to have our voice and our artwork heard and presented if we're comfortable with that. Have it there first of all and then as long as it's there, call it what you like. Whether mm -hmm. it's, you know, for me personally, I... I I don't mind what people call it, but, but show me it's there. Show me the quality of the work and of the participation and of the voice and the equality of voice, and I don't care what it's called. So I guess, what do I think of, what do I think of those things? I, mm, 
they're just names for me, they're just terms for me. I'm, I'm more interested in the work that comes out of it and who's taking part in it. Mm-hmm. Has that um, answered your question? That has answered my question, Fiona. <laughs> um, I think because those terms are 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 have were used historically, obviously. Um, mm. You know, outsider art to define mm. art that was created by people who were mentally unwell and. Mm-hmm. Um, whether mm-hmm. that was in hospital settings or in you know in their own homes, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then often later discovered when they died, and you know, and that's almost like that division within the arts community of, mm-hmm. of the label of patient created art, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you know art art, and and mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. do we make those dis- you know those distinctions? Because if you have an amazing mm-hmm. artist in your care, who is an mm-hmm. artist but is unwell. Mm-hmm. Is that art or outsider art, or you know, and mm. we lose mm. that. <laughs> we 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 lose that in those labels. Um, well, indeed, indeed, and we're and it's it's a dangerous time for labels, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. it's it, and I. What what really matters for us here is that we are doing everything we can to make sure if somebody wants to take part in an activity which enables them to reconnect, to find their voice, to express something that they can express in no other way, they should have the right to do that regardless of what it's called. And that's what's, that's what's really important, making that happen. Mm-hmm. The debates can go on, the debates will always go on. Um, of course, there's a place for that debate. Um, and I'm not saying that that naming things is not important. Just as I said earlier, I'm not saying that a, a name diagnosis is not important. These things are important. But let's not get caught up in in that too much. Let's just keep doing the work, keep pushing, keep pushing, pushing, and show the evidence it, th- through what we present, through what's there. The people who have sometimes said to me, gosh, I didn't expect to see that here. And I'll say, what? What do you mean that, and what do you mean here? Mm-hmm. Really interesting. But you know how, how people's expectations when they come into a psychiatric hospital, um, how they have been informed on what that should look like, and what they should expect, where they've received those messages from. Those things can all get in the way mm-hmm. of doing the work that mm-hmm. I think can help us really move towards inclusivity and move towards greater equality and voices of all sorts being heard. <clears throat> but I, I still come upon that because I'm in the public domain and I'm public facing. Yeah. I regularly have, have, whether it's visitors, whether it's, it can be anybody saying, I didn't expect to see that here. And we may be looking at a beautiful piece of art in the corridor of a psychiatric hospital. And that just shows how much work is still to be done. Yeah, absolutely. And have have you seen people become more open minded about or are less um I guess influenced by, you know, the media and different things about what does a psychiatric hospital look like? Is that a shift you've seen from your eight years yes. working in the setting? Yeah, most most definitely. We do um the the site has a history of doing community events in the days when staff were, were more able, had more time to do fundraising, for example, to, to have fets and bring people on site to launch things. 
um, those days faded. Um, so when Art in the Garth started, part of it was to try and bring that back in small scale and in a bit bigger than small scale. So we started the Over the Wall Festival and that basically came because a young man who was on one of the wards was chatting with me over a cup of coffee one day and he said to me, I'm in here every summer and the worst thing about being in here every summer now is that I can't go to any of the live music festivals. Mm. And I said, that's a really good point. That hadn't occurred to me. We need to do some sort of a live music festival here. <laughs> and he said, oh, you couldn't, you couldn't do that here. You couldn't. I said, well, we could. There's a, a green field at the end of the site. Okay, it's not tea in the park, mm-hmm. but it's outdoors. It's a field. It's a big space. It's accessible. It's just along the road from your ward. We could do that. We could make it happen. And you could come to a music festival. So that's what we did. And we basically have it on the last Saturday in August of every year. Um, That's the theory. (laughs) We have it in the last August every year. And we have a stage. We have a production engineer and a sound engineer. We've had a range of different well-known Glasgow bands and local third sector organisation bands mental recovery organisations, their their music groups, we've had them do performance. That happens at one end of the field. So you have your your live music festival at one end of the field and the other end of the field there are marquees with a range of different third sector organisations, whether it's children's classic concerts or Theatre Nemo or Confab or the Conservation Volunteers, the Scottish Owl Centre, Blackstone Heavy Horses. Whoever it may be, the sorts of things that you see at a community festival or a live music festival nowadays, there's no bouncy castle, I have to say, (laughs) but there's more or less everything else. And the idea is that we put this on this site, we have this happening on this site. It's open to anyone. It's not ticketed. People stumble upon it through the entrances into the site because they happen to be walking their dog or out for a run. Or patients and staff will come along, local groups will come along, and the idea is you don't know who you're sitting next to when you're on this piece of listening to Joe Mango and our band play. And so it's very much an, an anti-stigma message. It's very much come and be with us, spend time with us on this site, Gartneville Royal Hospital, your local psychiatric hospital, and be a part of what we do. And and it has worked very, very well, and the feedback has been great. Patients have come off the wards, sat and taken part. Staff have brought their families in. Our neighbours have come over the wall to join us. So it's very much about challenging who's on which side of that particular wall. Mm -hmm. Um, And so through, through activities like that, I've definitely seen... Just in 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 the practical way, members of staff will come up to me and say, "Do you need volunteer um, attendance at the festival this year? I'd love to put on a high vis vest and come in on a Saturday, and mm-hmm. be one of the volunteers to help." And that speaks volumes for me. That says that they find it of importance. That they think it's a good thing. They think it's worthwhile. They've they've prepared to give up their weekend to do it. All of these things that influence the decisions that we make and how we spend our spare time. 
I would say that the, the, the response that I've had from that has said to me that there is certainly an openness and a willingness to see this continue and to see more of this happen. How important do you think art is then in tackling the stigma around mental health? Well, I, I, it's important. It's important it, because it enables the participation of people out with their particular reality, where they are at that moment in time. It allows them to take part in something beyond the situation in which they find themselves. Mm -hmm. And it allows them to imagine a, a different space, a different time. It allows them to make plans and create, um, gives them the vision of, of what's beyond the doors of reconnecting outward. It's absolutely fundamental in all its forms, whether it's a conversation over a cup of tea, which I consider art if someone hasn't been able to do that for six months, whether it's performing in the Hub Singers, whether it's being part of composing a new piece of music to mark some anniversary, whether it's being in the gardens and using the reflective space for a creative writing project, whether it's picking up a book from the library trolley downstairs, whether it's looking at a piece of art on the wall. It's all fundamental to enabling people to see that the, the illness they have and enabling others to see that, that, that mental illness is an illness. Full stop. Mm -hmm. It's an illness. It's, it's not appendicitis. It's not a broken leg. But it's an illness. And as such, all of us get ill in different ways at different times. All of us deserve to be treated and all of us deserve to recover. And none of us deserve to be punished or feel that we are in some way being additionally punished because we happen to be ill. I often think back, and I remember when I took this job on, I was thinking about HIV AIDS and I was thinking about cancer and how people's perceptions had shifted around those two illnesses. I was thinking about Thatcher's horrendous campaign. Because I, was, I was thinking back to her AIDS campaign, the campaign that came out, you might be too young, that came out on TV with these gravestones falling over, an awful advertising campaign about protecting yourself from AIDS. Um, and, and, and also thinking about how when we, we used to speak about cancer and we used to talk about the big C, we wouldn't even say the word and our voices were hushed. And now, if you look at the present that and the, the raised awareness and the understanding mm -hmm. that we generally have with regards to HIV AIDS and cancer. We're proud now to be supporting charities which are about trying to find to fund research and find cures. If we can do that for HIV AIDS and if we can do that for cancer, why can't we do that for mental illness? Mm -hmm. That was a question that stuck in my head for a long time when I first took up this job. And I realised that the role I had was one route to trying to help people to begin to talk comfortably mm -hmm. about mental illness, whether they're living with a mental illness or a mental health condition, or whether they have someone in their family or a friend. And that you can do that through art forms. You can do that through sharing music, through sharing art, through sharing space, and shift the focus. That's, I find I find that really interesting how how 
we've been able to shift our focus with some illnesses, but art has a role in doing that, a huge role in doing that, I believe. Yeah, there's, I mean, you're right, there's certainly been a shift in public attitudes, um, you know, even in the last 10 years or so. Um, and I guess looking forward, what would you like the relationship between, how or how would you like the relationship between the arts and mental health to develop um, in Scotland in the next decade? Gee, sadly things too often come back to resources. They come back to how do we do these things if it's not mainstream, as they say, if it's not got a budget. Mm -hmm. um, it's a creative volunteer programme but we rely very heavily also on artists and third sector organisations mm -hmm. for whom this is a career and who deserve to work and to be rewarded in the way I get a wage. Mm -hmm. um, for me, until, until there is a budget, until there is a ring-fenced serious budget which supports the arts and mental health, which supports the arts in general, and because, of course, we here in Gartneville Royal benefit from the wider art, art sector out with um, the mental health art sector by, by taking part in, in activities, by going to the theatre, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry to say that for me it's, it's a resource issue, mm -hmm. and I'd like to see more serious talks, discussions about funding being ring-fenced and arts in mental health being mainstreamed in order that these amazing third-sector organisations and independent artists who do amazing, incredible recovery-based work with us, both in the acute setting and in the community setting, and yet struggle for their credibility Mm -hmm. struggle to have the importance of their work recognised mm -hmm. and the best way it can be recognised is regular funding. Mm -hmm. They'll do the rest, we'll do the rest, mm -hmm. but we can't do everything on goodwill nowadays. It, mm -hmm. You can't expect people to come in here every week, do their job and not be paid for it. So Volunteers are important, the creative volunteers are important, and the programme wouldn't run without them, but it also wouldn't run without the collaborations that we have with so many third sector organisations and artists. So I guess from my point of view, the plea is for serious funding. Mm -hmm. And that funding is a commitment then, isn't it, of, of, the, of a belief in what the work is and, and the impact that that has and... Um, absolutely yeah absolutely it's it, it's you, you do have to put your money where your mouth is you know mm -hmm. and particularly nowadays the things that have got lots of funding are the things that get lots of publicity and the things that the general public will see more they're more visible mm -hmm. and so we remain in the shadows a little bit mm -hmm. with all this amazing work going on and people struggling to have their their voices heard I wanted to ask you next about, um, so the volunteer programme, obviously there are volunteers that you work with. Who mm -hmm. are those volunteers? What sort of people are they? 
They are primarily, um, let me think, 22 to... Hmm, the majority of them are 22 to 35-year-olds. Mm. Um, postgraduate students, mm-hmm. psychology students. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's the majority. Then there are people who are of a wide range of ages. For instance, in our garden volunteer project, they, the, the garden volunteers take part for a very different set of reasons from the volunteers who are working one-to-one or supporting groups on the wards. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a, a much wider range of people. We have retired people. We have people who've been referred in, people who've been in hospital and come back to work in the gardens because the gardens were so important for them when they were here. Mm-hmm. Members of the general public, volunteers through the conservation volunteers, volunteers through other sub-sector organisations who come in and help us out. We also have large numbers of corporate volunteers, or ordinarily we would have. Um, so I have a corporate volunteer program where volunteer, where companies who have a corporate social responsibility policy are looking to give something back to the community will maybe send me an email or I'll hear about them through Volunteer Glasgow and they've got a day or five days a year to give. And that's a real help for us in larger scale projects, particularly to do with the outdoor spaces. Mm. Um, And then we have another group of volunteers of different ages who do drop-in activity. So they may turn up and put up a chessboard and just sit down in the hub with a cup of tea with a chessboard in front of them and people can just casually come and play a couple of moves if they want or come and have a conversation. So we have volunteers who are very much about sort of casual pop-up events, that notion of in the public spaces. If you, you know, if you're walking through Buchanan Street, who knows what you're going to see or what you're, what you're going to bump into. So I try and do the same thing as part of the Art and the Gart programme using volunteers down in our, our public spaces outside wards in the car park. So someone might come along and just start playing the piano or someone might come along with some... Um, with some some paper and pencils and sit down at a table and start doing some charcoal sketching and a patient might be passing and come and sit down and have a conversation. Obviously, all of this is not happening at the moment, but that's 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 usual for here. So we try and we try and use as wide a range of volunteers as possible because again, that's what you see. You know, when you when you when you're walking up and down the street, it's not all 25-year-olds, although sometimes it feels like that, but it's not, <laughs> not all 25-year-olds. And equally, it's not all 75-year-olds. So mm. so the volunteers, are, are I try and get them from as wide a spread as possible. It, it's, it's not enough to want to volunteer here, A, because of the context in which we're in, but B, because I feel so strongly about what we're trying to do in terms of that equality of connection and that being present with someone and using an activity to build a friendship or a relationship. Um, I, I, I feel that so strongly that certain types of people are better at that than others. So, so what I look for when I'm doing my gatekeeping, I guess, um, are the very basics of, of very good human communication and listening skills. And if they also happen to come with 
some sort of an artistic bent, then so much the better, because it means I can use them across a range of things. Well, not that I can use them. They can be part of a range of things, you know what I mean. Um, so, so the volunteers will come to me via a range of means, either by being referred in, coming through Volunteer Glasgow, word of mouth. They may have been a patient. Uh, they may just be walking by. They may have been in, at an event that I was hosting, an awareness-raising event. I don't advertise widely. I don't need to. Somehow, word of mouth uh, between people um, seems to work. People will say to other people, you should go and speak to Fiona or here's Fiona's email. Drop her an email, tell her a bit about yourself. She'll meet you, have a conversation. Um, and then if, if that conversation goes well, the, the volunteer and I, the prospective volunteer and I, will both go away and just ponder it for a couple of days and then come back together again to talk about is this a place where we both think they would be comfortable and at ease because that's really important that they're comfortable here and it's not for everybody obviously no volunteering opportunities for everybody um, but I, I'm, I'm very careful about who, who becomes a member of the programme for a, for a wide range of reasons um, not least of which is the staff, the, the trust that I have with the staff. So the, 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 the volunteers whom I think can bring something um, directly related to, to a request will then meet with clinical staff and we'll have a conversation with clinical staff, we'll see the ward. There's a whole process, as you can imagine, but that contact with a clinician is equally important just to make sure that, that the, the clinician and the volunteer feel comfortable with each other, because that can make the difference in this setting between something working and it not working. If, for instance, a volunteer might come to me and say, I, 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 I don't think that works for me, actually. Um, one, one person had said to me that they'd, they'd lost an elderly family member so much as they would have loved to have been involved in the music that went on in the older people's ward, they really didn't feel that they were ready for it, but was their music in a different type of ward. Mm. So it, it really depends, depends on the individual and depends where they've come from and what they're looking for and what we're looking for, whether someone will become part of the, the, the volunteer programme or not. I'm sorry if that sounds harsh, or discriminatory in some way, but I, I do see myself as as a gatekeeper mm -hmm. because of what I've learned over the years mm -hmm. of of what staff and patients require mm -hmm. and what is required of the volunteer and what the volunteer needs to be able to call on when they're in this setting. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does make sense, yes. Um, so I know we're running on, we're almost at an hour and a half, so um, <gasps> I know. So I will um, just ask you a couple more questions and I'll give you a chance mm -hmm. to say anything that you felt like you wanted to say and haven't had a chance to yet. Um, so I asked you earlier about, you know, some of the favourite people that you've worked with or partners or mm. maybe even like, you know, genres of art that you like participating in or viewing. But I'd like to know just widely, like, what have been some of your favourite memories of just being involved in the arts and mental health? 
We have an activity that we do, we usually do every second Wednesday called the Hub Singers. Um, we don't call it a choir because some people see the word choir and either think I can't sing or, oh, I don't want to be in a choir. So we have a group which meets with two musicians from Common Wheel and two or three volunteers, myself, and any patients, staff, members of the public who want to come have a seat down in our large public reception area. We have lists and lists and lists of songs which have been requested by patients and, and staff and family members over the years, which that list is circulated, and people choose their song, and we all sing it together. And that has to be, really that has to be the my most favourite moment um, on a regular basis here in, in Gartneville Royal Hospital because we can have 40, 45 individuals downstairs in the space singing um, and, and enjoying the song and people who have been pacing the ward, not talking to anyone, come down and take part. So it is a real leveller. And it reminds, it's great therapy for everyone. We all sing, whether we can sing or not. We all sing. There's often dancing. There may be the odd prop or two, depending if it's Burns Night or Christmas or whatever. And it's a genuinely warm, welcoming, open space where traditionalists might say, well, you would never know you were in a hospital. It feels like, it feels like I'm in... Somebody's front room at New Year in the 1960s on Hogmanay singing, doing a sing-along, a sing-song. That's what it's like, and that's what happens. And the, the, the transformation in the physical environment of that space and the transformation in all of us who take part, including myself, if I've had a hard day or a hard week and I go down, as soon as we start singing together and clapping and making eye contact and smiling and as soon as the energy lifts and it's a high ceiling so the sound and the music carries throughout the whole of the building so even if you're not there you can still hear it but as soon as it kicks off the space and people are transformed and I think I think I'm, I'm sometimes a bit uncomfortable with this word transformation even though it's absolutely the best word it, it says what goes on. Things are transformed, whether it's the environment or whether it's individuals. And that, I would say, seeing that every time the Hub Singers happens, which is twice a month, seeing that regularly is like nourishment for me. It reminds me that we're on the right track, we're doing the right thing, and we just need to keep doing it more, more, more. So that, I would say, that, I would say is my most favourite memory of everything that we've done here. Sounds great. I want to come along. <laughs> you must come along. <laughs> um, and Fiona, just lastly, is there anything else that you want to say or anything we haven't discussed um, that you'd like to add? I think, I think what is another important thing to say is that we, we really, really, really want to welcome people onto this site. It's not a park but it is a beautiful green space with all sorts of areas. We have, we have public art displayed here, two magnificent, huge outdoor pieces of artwork which were um, designed by Jess and Rob, a Scottish artist, to mark 
200 years of organised psychiatric care in the west of Scotland, and they were installed on this site, one of them directly outside the, the main hub building and one of them along at the far end of the site where, where you can exit onto Crow Road. And the the hope was always that this would be part of destigmatizing the psychiatry element to the site, so that people would come and wander around the site, look at the public artwork, go and see the gardens, maybe come in and have a coffee if there was some pop up music, listen to the music, so that it becomes a usual place for people to visit, and you don't just need to come here if you happen to be unwell. So. That, that's a goal. Another goal of the programme is that the site should be welcoming to anyone and that anyone can feel comfortable coming over the wall. Because if then, in years to come, any one of those people has to come here as a patient, mm. they'll already know us. They'll know the site. Mm -hmm. They'll be more comfortable here than if they'd never been here before. So we're trying, it's that two-way thing mm -hmm. of, of, of trying to destigmatise for the wider gain of society, but also for any of us who may actually find ourselves on a ward one day and it may be a less fearful mm -hmm. and awful experience mm -hmm. in our illness if we're familiar with the site. You know, it's just another building that, that we need sometimes. So familiarise yourself with it and you'll see it's just another building. <laughs>